besides our marriage day, that was by far much better. telling you the half has not been told if you've ever laid eyes on the Grand Canyon and people will say things like um, you know yeah you have to be there to see it and then you see it and you're like well picture was sufficient <laughs> yeah you know because people exaggerate things it's just our nature but I'm going to tell you what, it's the only time I've ever seen a physical uh, something that led me to worship. And it was almost like it was bigger than me. And you start to realize like how small you are. And just, it just takes your breath away. It just takes your breath away. It's beautiful. And then to think, I didn't go to the place you went, I wish I would have, that God, when he sees me, is more overtaken by his children than he is how we feel when we see something like the Grand Canyon. I think David says in, in Psalm, I think it's 139, he says, the thoughts you have to me, for me are more numerous than I can count. Whoa. God, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me like that. So my wife gets the Wife of the Year Award. Um, yeah, she does. Because her husband is bent towards adventure and risk. And she is bent towards safety and <laughs> comfort. But she, we hiked 10 miles. We hiked down in the Grand Canyon. We took our little breaks on <laughs> going back up. But, I mean, it was just incredible. And so she was, she was the trooper because this is something really I want to do. But I think after doing it, I think she, she wrote, yeah, red face. We was, we was hiking down in there. But, man, what a blast. And then we went to Sedona. And, uh, yeah, so we hiked up to Devil's Bridge. And I just went ahead and claimed it for King Jesus. <laughs> so if you tell the park service, say, sorry, you're going to have to change the signage. My pastor has claimed this King Jesus Bridge. Because Satan never built a bridge. He only blows them up. So Jesus is the only one that makes the bridges. So, so we're just going to call it King Jesus Bridge from now on. And you ought to go look at King Jesus Bridge. That's pretty impressive too. It's pretty impressive too. So we had to hurry up and come back and, and, uh, and kind of hustle and catch our flights. I mean, there was no room even between some of the flights. So we made our way back at a wedding rehearsal and then a wedding. And so uh, I kind of knew this the schedule in advance and so I met a friend from kids church camp Brett and Courtney Wilson and yeah awesome y'all come up here and so we we just hit it off we we worked the same table and uh, the lunch table God put us at the same table and uh, I had never met this man in my life come to find out Right out of Bible college, they were youth pastors here at Lakeview. So I'm like, we had all this like intersecting, woven things. And, uh, and so we just hit it off, man, just sharing our heart with one another. We stayed up till like 3 a.m. one night. That was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, that was such a bad idea because so, yeah, anyway. 
But we just were talking. You know how when you meet somebody with a kindred spirit and you can just talk about God and it just, God, God, then just like, you know, it's not like a one-upper, but it's like, it kind of is in a way. Yeah, it was like one of those deals. And uh, so I'm just so honored to have them here. And so knowing the kind of, I scheduled this in advance, knowing kind of the, because if I was doing sermon prep on vacation, my wife would kill me, okay? <laughs> just saying. So I wanted to be present with her, and so I've asked, uh, I asked Brett if he would minister today. And they're at Pine Bluff doing awesome things at Pine Bluff First Assembly, and uh, I just love his heart. I love him. I love his family, and God is just all over him. The presence of God is all over him. The anointing of God is all over him, and, uh, and, and he gets embarrassed when you say things like that because that's just the kind of humble guy he is. But I'm going to tell you something. I've been around. I've met a lot of ministers. And this is, uh, this guy's in my top five. Amen. He's in my top five. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, man. Go for it. Thank you. Well, y'all are about to get disappointed. <laughs> no. Man, I loved, I loved camp. I was not supposed to go to kids' camp. As y'all know, if those who are here, when we were here, my wife is the one who works with the children. I love children. I love other people's children from a distance, and I love my children up close. But uh, had some cancellations. I had to go to kids' camp, and I ended up loving kids' camp. Pastor Matt ended up last minute having to go to kids' camp, and as we have those moments, like you said, it's like, are, are, are we becoming best friends right now? I think this is happening right now, but... It was wonderful, had a great time. I just, for those who are here that were here when, when we were here, it's so good to see y'all. It's exciting to see you. But I think the only thing more exciting than seeing y'all is seeing how many people I don't know. And to see how the, the life that's in the room, the life that's in the church. You know, whenever you leave somewhere, everything freezes in time, right? Everything's, you picture it how it once was. And to come in and see so much life and so much life transformation and all this stuff is such a testament to, to several things, but one is a testament to the leadership, and uh, I don't want to—I don't want to blow your head up too much. So let me just say this: it's a testament to the leadership, not because any of this can be attributed directly to y'all, but it can all be attributed directly to the humility that you have to truly be led by the Holy Spirit, and that's what I feel when I'm here. You know, you go some places and you can tell, oh, so-and-so is the pastor of this church because you can tell it's how they want it to be. You go other places and you know, okay, the Holy Spirit's in charge in this church. Yeah. And it's so refreshing to see that, to feel that, and uh, excited for what the future is, for what God's going to continue to do here at Lakeview. But I'm honored. Thank you so much for inviting me to come. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. We did. Courtney and I spent our first two years of marriage and ministry here. And uh, there were some wonderful, wonderful special times. And we all left a mark on us. And there are some marks that I left. Some of them were positive. Some of them were not. My first week here, first week on the job, right, they had to get special permission for me to be able to drive the church van because I was so young. And sometimes me and my wife talk about this. We're like, they entrusted us with children. Like, here, watch our children. And I'm, well... First week on the job, church van's parked over here in front of the office. I hop in. I need to move the church van for something. I back up and immediately run over the church mailbox <laughs> with the church van, causing damage to two pieces of church property in my first week. And I thought, you know what? 
it's all uphill from here. So, anyways, it's all good. But uh, I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead for the rest of this service. He already has so far, and I believe he will for the rest of this time. So, Lord Jesus, we give you all praise and honor and glory. We thank you so much that you are here, Lord. More than anything else, we're so thankful that you are here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will guide everything that we say. I pray nothing I say will ever take away from what it is you're desiring to speak to your people today, Lord. In your name, Jesus. In your name. Amen. Amen. So you mentioned a couple things about how awesome the Grand Canyon is. It's so funny you said that, about how sometimes people say something is awesome, and then you see it, and it's just not so awesome. You know, people do that all the time when they talk about food, right? People have a real elevated view of the food that they've eaten. And you know, we lived in Memphis for 10 years, so we really became spoiled on Memphis barbecue. It's our favorite kind of barbecue. It's the best. You know, everyone else is wrong. So we're enjoying Memphis barbecue, and people will be like, oh, you got to try the barbecue at so-and-so. It's to die for, right? Oh, it's like, oh. And then you go, and it's like, no, it's not. It's not even worth paying for. Like, I just... It's not. There aren't many things that are worth dying for. And we, we are so dramatic as people. We want to talk about, oh, we'll, oh die. You know, I, we watch most of my illustrations now come from kids' movies because that's the life that I live. You know, my wife, Courtney, here, if y'all got a chance to meet her. My son's Ty. He's 10. My daughter is Colby. She's 6. And we watch a lot of kids' movies. And uh, there's, what is it on Inside Out? Where it's like, I would die for Riley. There's this boy who's, I would die for Riley. It's like this fantasy of these girls. Or then there's, there's Olaf, right, in Frozen. It's a great movie. I don't know why it hasn't won more awards. You know, but, <laughs> hey, I can't let it go. It's ingrained here. I wish I could. But Olaf says, some people are worth melting for. Isn't that just a great line? Man, Olaf, he's a stud. But... The thing is, value is based off of what someone's willing to pay for something, right? It's based off of what someone's willing to pay for something. And so you can take a water bottle, for example. If you go to the grocery store, you can buy like 47 bottles of water for like $3.85, right? And a big old case of water is like giving it away. Well, then you go to a vending machine. How much is that same bottle of water? It's like a dollar, two dollars. It's like, what in the world? I can go buy like 14 of these at the grocery store, right? Then you go to the hotel. And I'm telling you, I think places of business are really capitalizing on COVID and that they're shutting all the water fountains down. It's a conspiracy. No. But then they're like, no, but we have water right here. It's like this $4 bottle of water. I'm like, no. I could go buy 27 bottles of water for what you're trying to do to me. Or then you go to a theme park. And, like, you ask for a bottle of water, and, like, the, the ceiling opens, and this thing just, like, <laughs> for three easy payments of $19.99. <laughs> it's like, holy cow, I just want some water. I'm dying. I'm literally, like, 90% water. Like, I'm going to start selling parts of myself. I'm worth more as water than I am as a human being. But... When we think about value being based off of what somebody is willing to pay for it, and then we hear what we just heard about how Jesus looks at us, and last time I checked, there's only one Jesus. Can anybody in the house refute that fact? <laughs> there's one Jesus from the very beginning in Deuteronomy when God introduces himself. He says, behold, the Lord is one. There's no one else above him. No one else is equal. 
Yet the one God gave his very self, his own life, to purchase us. Now, what does that say about your value? If value is based off what someone is willing to pay for it, then there is nothing more priceless than you and me. And what I believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning is to live a life worth dying for. A life worth dying for. Because I believe sometimes we sell ourselves short and we don't live in the fullness of what God died to give us. And there was a quote growing up that I heard a lot from Leonard Ravenhill. And he said, are the things you, you are living for worth Christ dying for? Some of you may have heard that line. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And how you perceive that can go a couple ways. I have a tendency to be hard on myself, okay? So I heard, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And I would be like, no. <laughs> Who's turned that way? As soon as I said the line, who wanted to crawl under the chair? Like, are the things Christ died for, or the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And we're just like, I'm a worm. So I grew up a lot feeling like dirt, right? No matter what I did, if I wasn't out there just like, preaching on the street or doing something that I wasn't truly living for all Christ died for. And then I'd approach God, not as like, oh, wonderful Savior. It's like, it's me again, God. I smiled today. I don't know why I did it. There are people dying and going to hell, and I'm over here smiling like I got some candy in my pocket. Really, I feel bad. But that is not what the heart of what God is trying to say. Are you living in the fullness of what Christ died for? And I believe there are areas that we fall short in that or that we sell ourselves short in that. I want to share out of one verse today. And I'm sure it will spring into some other stuff. But I'm going to try to stick to one verse. It's in Titus chapter 2 verse 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to Titus who he, can, he calls my son in the faith. One of those, like, those wisdom to the young ones kind of moments. I really look forward to being old. Like this whole middle of life thing I'm not so excited about. Like being young is fun because it's all dreaming. And then being old is cool because you get to tell all the young people how to do everything. But like in the middle, <laughs> yes, he's like, yes. Like I want to be that. I, I cannot wait to just sit on the rocking chair drinking an ice cold Coca-Cola out of glass because that's how you do it. You know, I want to do that. But anyway. Where am I at? Paul is having that moment. Paul's on his rocking chair, drinking his, drinking his ice cold Coke with peanuts in it in a glass bottle. <laughs> writing to Titus. And he says, Titus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us. And to make us his very own people. Totally committed to doing good deeds. Can you sum up? The heart of God better in one scripture. He says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And that, my friend, is a preacher's favorite kind of Bible verse. There's the outline. So if you forget, just pull out the scripture and read that one. So here's the thing. Free us from every kind of sin. I got a little thing here. I'll explain it in just a minute. When we think of being freed from sin, many times we think of the penalty of sin, Right? We're free from sin. Jesus forgave me, right? He forgave me of my sins. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God's eternal life. And we're thinking eternally, which is nothing wrong with thinking eternally. We could probably think eternally a lot more than we do. But in this realm, we, we put everything off to eternity. 
He freed me from sin, meaning he freed me from the penalty of sin. I don't have to go to hell because of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, and we thank him for that. But read that again. He says he frees us from every kind of sin, not from the penalty of every kind of sin. Thank God he does that. But I think that we are not living in the fullness of what Christ died for if we don't recognize that that starts right now. Right now. You read elsewhere, Paul talks about I was bound to sin in my former life. I wanted to do good, but then what do I do? I continue to do evil. I was bound to sin in my sinful nature. All the way back to where Adam and Eve see the tree and all God says, they had one rule, is don't eat from this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Satan do? God's holding out on you. He wants... He doesn't want you to be able to find what's right and what's wrong for your life. How dare he? You're your own man. We struggle with this a lot in America, don't we? It's like, you choose for yourself what's right and wrong, Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you. And so Adam and, Adam and Eve reach out. They take that fruit. And what they're really doing is they're trying to take control. They're trying to take control. What was broken is not just a command, but trust. I don't trust you, God. I don't trust that you know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. The, the fruit looks good to eat. I'm going to take it. And we tried to become our own God in that moment. Right? And every one of us has that moment in our life where we do the same thing. Right? But yet he died. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Not just the penalty, but the bondage. Now, I read about this a long time ago because I love nature shows. I love all the kind of stuff that bores most people. But there was this, they, they discovered this tribe of people that uh, they learned how to make money selling monkeys to Westerners. Because I don't know, do you have squirrels in your yard? How many of you have squirrels? Squirrels drive me crazy. They're, they're fun and all until you put bird feeders out because you want to see the birds. And then all of a sudden they become ninja assassins. I don't understand. Like, we, we had, you know, this the kind of bird feeder that has a little shepherd's hook, and you put it out there, and it's, oh, it's so pretty. And then the, 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 you look out there, and the squirrels are swinging from the end of it, just <laughs> slinging the seed everywhere. And you're going through, like, $47 of bird seed. It's like, there's no birds. <laughs> so I get a taller pole, right? Well, then, then they just the, the squirrels get stronger. <laughs> then, you know, they're, like, eyeballing me out of the window, just like... <laughs> The feeder's empty. Like, I figured that out. You think I can't get in this window? Like, so I greased the pole. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grease this pole and watch those squirrels. And like, I'm, I'm telling you, that like, they wrap themselves around it and just squeegee it all off and they're straight up. Stupid squirrels. So then, then I get real smart. I get some heavy fishing line, and I throw the line clear over a tree limb, and I'm dangling this bird feeder eight feet off the ground from nothing but a fishing line. And I'm like, what now, squirrels? Like, we have a really unhealthy relationship, and I don't know. They still figure it out, so I just let them have it now, whatever. Imagine how frustrating it is to have monkeys. That's what I'm trying to get at. I can't handle squirrels. They're like this big. Imagine monkeys. Anyways, they want to get rid of the monkeys, but instead of just killing the monkeys, they find out when the Westerners come around, the Westerners like to look at monkeys. Because for whatever reason we do, we go to the zoo and we holler at them, right? 
So they decide they want to catch the monkeys alive, sell the monkeys. But if they're trying to catch the monkey alive, they can't damage it, right? So they had these gourds. Now, I was going to bring a gourd, but I'm fresh out of jungle gourds. So I got, <laughs> I got this clear uh, jug here. So what they'd do is they'd, they'd cut the top off of the gourd where it's real slender, and they'd hollow it all out. And then they'd take a fruit or something that a monkey wants, you know, corn or grains or something, they put it in, and they put it down inside of that gourd, right? And they tie the gourd to a tree where monkeys like to go, and they just sit there. And I've got videos of this, and they're watching these monkeys, and they're running around, and they're like, huh, that seems natural. A big gourd slap full of food. I should trust this. And so in goes the hand. They grab a big old handful of what's in there, and all of a sudden, they're stuck. And they have a decision to make. Am I going to keep what I want, or am I going to be free? And they sit there, and they fight, and they fight, and then the people walk up with the club, and they just go. And then they pick the monkey up, and they sell it to some zoo or something. And when I watched that, I was like, God, that's what bondage looks like to a son and daughter of God. I, I do not want to belittle the presence of addictions and having to overcome bondages in our life that we open doors to, you know. But it says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. But we're told in our world that once you have built dependencies, you can never be free. Your brain will always crave it. Always, and we feel bound to something that God clearly says we are not bound to. And so sometimes the first step that we have to know is I am not bound. I just got to let go. All I got to do is let go. I have to let go of the thing God says don't touch. Now, what that process looks like may be counseling. It may be small groups. It may be prayer and fasting. It may be all that kind of stuff and accountability. But it starts with the decision. I've got to let go of the thing God said do not hold. It has to come back to the point where we say, God, I trust you. My body tells me I need this. You tell me I don't. So I either continue to be bound to what I think my body tells me I need, or I continue to be bound to what you say I need. My culture says I need this, but you say that I don't. So I choose who I'm going to believe. And this is, you know, Paul's like, in Christ you're a new creation. All my old sinful desires and all those things have been crucified with Christ. I can walk in the Spirit and in doing so not gratify the desires and the lust of my flesh. And no matter what is in that bucket, it all comes down to trust. So what does it matter if inside that bucket is sexual addictions or if it's uh, substance addictions or if it's bad relationships or if it's uh, lying on your taxes or whatever kind of thing is in that bucket? I don't know what it is. What it really is is I don't trust you, God, and I will take care of myself. And God is saying, let it go. Oh, man. I almost sang it. Let it go. Let it go. He died so we can let it go. Let it go. My son's going, stop, stop. 
All right, not to, not to sound like an infomercial, but wait, there's more. Because if you stop right there, you're still not living in everything that Christ died to give you. He died to free you from the penalty and the bondage of sin, and he says to cleanse us. How wonderful is that? And I'm not just talking about cleaning. You know, one thing that came to light during COVID that I was kind of initially surprised about is that we had to teach people to wash their hands. Did you notice that? There's like whole ad campaigns teaching us how, how to wash, wash our hands. But then I sat in the men's restroom and I was like, we're still not getting it. I'm watching them just, they're walking right on out. I'm like, you know, forget COVID, that's just nasty. I, wash your hands. And uh, so that's what we think of, being cleansed. Yes, cleansed. But why? What does that even mean? He, he died to cleanse us, to cleanse us. So we think, well, what we think of cleansing? Let's go back to the Old Testament because, again, there's not a separation. It's the same God. He was trying to teach us things from the very beginning. In the Old Testament, you mentioned the priest coming into the presence of God. Before the priest could come into the presence of God, he had to go through ritual cleansings. He had to be cleaned. He had to have his hands cleaned a certain way, his clothes cleaned a certain way, his body cleaned a certain way through different pools. He had to be anointed with blood on his ear and his thumb and his big toe and different things. He had to sprinkle blood. And all this stuff was to cleanse him spiritually, ceremonially, physically before he could approach the presence of God, right? The point was not the cleansing. The point was what opened up to that person because of the cleansing, right? And God forbid we spend our life being cleansed by God and never actually go into the presence and a relationship with the living God we were being cleansed to have in the first place. The point is to live in a living, breathing relationship with the God who created you and loves you and calls you and has a future purpose for your life. That's what God has come to do. And we can be so wrapped up with the cleansing. You know what I even think about when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, right? And uh, at first, like, oh, certainly not me. But then they all let him. And then Peter, like, is adamant. You, you will not wash my feet, Jesus. You will not allow yourself to serve me and, and lower yourself. And I'm sure Jesus is like, Peter, how many times? Well, i got to teach you this. Like, I already told you, if you want to be the, the leader of all, if you want to be the best, you, you got to serve all. But you just don't get it. He's like, surely not me. And Jesus is like, if I do not cleanse your feet, you cannot be a part of me. So what was the purpose of cleansing the feet? Was it because his feet were dirty? Well, sort of. I mean, it probably were nasty. But it's because he wanted Peter to be a part of him. What did Jesus pray over his disciples before he was crucified? He said, Lord, God, I pray that they can be in me the way that I am in you and you are in me. And they can be in me. And we together can be in perfect unity. And so he washes his feet. And then Peter, of course, and only Peter's way. Oh, they're not just my feet. Oh, wash all of me. It's like talking about one up, and it's like, Peter, sit down. <laughs> like, I just got to wash your feet, Peter. Like, I don't, know how, I don't know how your Jesus is, but that's sort of how I picture my Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. There's just one Jesus. I'm just playing. But he's like, Peter, sit down. I don't have to wash your whole body. You already took a bath. I got to wash your feet because when you're walking through this life, stuff gets on you. You know? Stuff gets on you. And, and sometimes we reject God's cleansing. So like, no, God, you've already done it once. It's my fault that I'm this filthy, right? Or you know what, God, I'll do it myself. I'm going to get all this stuff cleaned off, and then I'll be presentable to you, God. 
But then we spend our whole life not presentable to God, and the whole time he died so that he could make us presentable to himself. And so be free of that. Be free of that. God died that you could be cleansed so that you could be one with him. He loves you that much. Receive it. Receive that. And so when you come into his presence, like a Sunday morning like this, or when you wake up in the morning in your house, because you don't have to wait till Sunday morning to be in the presence of God, and you roll out of bed and you say, oh, Lord Jesus, if there's anything in me, clean off my feet, Lord, because I want to be able to walk with confidence into your presence today. Cleanse me. Because what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? The curtain that separated all of humankind from the presence of God was split from the top to the bottom, and a way was made that all of us could come to the throne of grace in confidence because of what Jesus has done. So every day, do we need to be saved every day, like in kids' church? Man, if you look at the kids' church numbers, like you all have a church of 150 people and 700 salvations every year. Because, like, the same kids get saved every Sunday morning. And it's awesome and it's beautiful. And one day it's going to stick in their mind and they'll always remember that one time they got saved. And the children's pastor is going to be, no, Timmy, you got saved every week. Every week. But we don't have to get saved every week. But we can walk and gloriously celebrate the salvation that we've experienced and say, oh, Lord, thank you for cleansing my head and my mind and my heart and my body. But, God, if there's anything that you've got to wash off of me, I just want to be able to be in your presence, God. I just want to be able to be with you. I don't want to just be clean. I want to be with you. Not just Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all those other good days. If we could practice this, you mentioned Psalm 139. It was already in the notes this morning. How wonderful is that? If you pray this scripture every day, how wonderful this is of a foot washing. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's a foot washing scripture if I ever read one. So every day it's like, Lord, you've already cleansed me. You've, you've brought me salvation. You've freed me from the bondage of sin. But in this life, I've come across stuff. I've seen stuff. I've heard stuff. I've been exposed to things. God, I pray you'll search my heart. Find any wicked way on my feet and in my walk and wash it away that I can walk in your presence today. So that I can walk by the Spirit and in so doing not gratify the desires of my flesh, but truly live in the freedom that you died to give me. Let me walk in that. He doesn't just want us to be Christian by name. He wants us to be his very own people. So he died to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us. But he cleanses us to make us his very own people. To make us his very own people. You know, you can see it all through Scripture. He has Adam and Eve. But then they rebel. And then he has Noah come along, and he starts over again. But then it wasn't five minutes, and we messed that up again. And then he has Abraham, and he sets aside the Israelites to be his people. And they messed it up, and he restored them, and they messed it up, and he restored them, and they messed it up, and he restored them. It sort of sounds like our life story. And then Jesus comes. Because the Israelites were to pave a way that all people could be blessed, just like he promised in the very beginning. To Eve, he said, your seed is going to crush the serpent's head. Right? He talks to Abraham. He says, through your seed, meaning one seed, being Jesus, will all nations be blessed. And the people that were not a people will now be called the people, the sons and daughters of God. 
John 1 verse 12 says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, not just Jewish, but Gentile as well, he gave the right to become children of God. And I believe that we're not living in the fullness of what Christ died for if we don't recognize that we are sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God. Not by the world's definition of a son or a daughter or a father or a mother, but by the full definition by God of what a father and a mother is. He says we are sons and daughters. Sometimes we can be so low we don't mind being slaves of God. We're just like, oh, you know. And you ask people, how are you doing? I'm just a servant of God. It's like, well, I sure don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> Have you ever seen, seen that before? you ever felt that way? Or like people are in worship and it just hurts. Just... It's like, man, I hope I don't get saved. That looks really painful. No. We'll accept being servants. We'll accept the agony of it. Not that there are not seasons of that, of grieving and of intercession and all that. But we are sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters. That means, like he says in Scripture, you read things, everything that is the Father's belongs to the Son. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to his children. And we walk around weighed down and afraid to come to God. Like we've disappointed him. Like, like somehow we're not all that he created us to be. When, when, when I think about my children, your whole life changes when, when you have children or when you're around kids, your relatives have kids. It's something about children, it's like, I love them. And they mess up. But you know what? I still love them. And no matter how big they mess up, the last thing in the world I want them to do is to try to hide from me. I try to tell them every day, I don't care what you do. You come to me. You come to me. Do not run away from me. I'm the last person in the world you need to hide from. And God's the same way. But what do we do? We mess up and then we try to hide from God. And we, we can look at Adam and Eve and say, oh, how stupid are they? they? They're hiding from God. We do the same thing. What we get, we get off track and we start messing up and doing some stuff. And we, start, we stop going to church, right, because it's embarrassing. Right? What do people know about, well, I'm just, I'm, I need to get some stuff fixed before I need, I need to come to God. Or we stop praying because we don't want to be with God because we feel conviction. And it's just, oh, we, just start, we start separating ourselves from God. And the whole time he's like, please, just come to me. Please come to me. I want you to come. You're my son. You are my daughter. I want to fix this. I want to fix this. I want to make it right. And in a silly way, it's sort of like we, we got this cat. Do you, like, do you like cats? You're not going to admit it if you do. Very few will admit it. I'm going to, we need to have like a cat likers anonymous. I don't know, but I've had cats my whole life. I like cats. They do what they want to do and like, whatever. That's cool. You know, I don't, I don't need something else to be dependent on me. You know, cat, well, he can eat a squirrel if he wants to. I don't know. But we got this cat. It was a full grown cat. It used to be a barn cat at my uh, in-law's house. And, uh, but it was a barn cat that would not kill anything. It just wanted to cuddle. So that's not a barn cat. It's broke. So we took this broken barn cat and we brought it to our house. But we didn't just want to have a broken barn cat. We wanted it to be our cat. But that cat had fleas and it had ticks. It was in a barn, right? That's what happens when you're in a barn. You're dirty. You've got parasites. You need to. And so we didn't want it to just be 
our cat by name. We wanted it to be our cat in our home. So we had to take away the things that were sucking the life literally out of this cat. We had to clean up the things that made that cat dirty and say, you know what? You're our cat. And I don't know if you get salvation goosebumps about a barn cat, but when I think about you and me and how we were just a bunch of broken barn cats and we couldn't even kill a mouse, and God looks at us, he says, wow, I want you to be in my house. I want you. I want you to curl up at the end of my bed. I want you to bite me when I'm trying to pet you. Because that's what cats do. You know? I know you're probably going to make a mess. I know that you're, you're probably going to stink up the house a little bit every now and then. You're going to tear the curtains, but you're mine. You know? And God looks at us and he says, I didn't just want to make you a slave. I didn't want to leave you where you were. I wanted to make you my own. I want you to be my son and my daughter. This is what he died for, so don't live for less than that. Don't live for less than that. We have to immerse ourselves in this new identity. And the last thing Paul says in this verse, he says, gave us his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I think it's important everything is in that order, right? If it started with committed to doing good deeds, then we're going to miss all the other stuff. We're going to try to earn something from God or somehow we pay him for what he's done. Here's 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 a a hint, y'all. I don't care what you do. You will never repay God for what he's done, ever. So stop trying. That can be such a liberating feeling. And it's something that I've had to be liberated from. I thought somehow I could earn this. Are you kidding me? No. It comes out of being freed, out of being cleansed, out of being his very own. And now we're walking in relationship with God where his spirit is inside of me. When I said the spirit of the church, the Holy Spirit is leading, it's not just you, it's the Holy Spirit through you. And here's the great thing, is that the same Holy Spirit that leads the Stevensons is the same Holy Spirit that leads you and you and you and you and you and you. you. Read, Read the scriptures. He says that there's many gifts, but the same spirit, one spirit, right? And then he says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that dwells inside of you. Holy cow. That's where the commitment to do good comes from. Not I want to do this to earn acceptance from God, but because I have been accepted by God and I walk with him, I cannot help but do the things that he does and be the places that he will be because I'm just walking in relationship with him. You're not waking up in the morning going, well, I guess I better say my prayers because that's what I'm supposed to do if I'm going to be a good person. You know, cleanse me and wash me, whatever. Uh, I'm probably going to mess this up in the next five minutes. It's, oh, God, thank you so much for what you've done, for already cleansing me, purify me, direct me, and now, Lord, I'm going to go to breakfast and help me to know what to do. Stop it, kids. Put your milk down. Lord, I just pray you'll guide me. And everything, every step of the way, he begins to guide us in all the little things. We don't have to look for the big things. How many times did God lead people step by step and then boom, 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 things are just happening? God tells Philip in the book of Acts, go walk down that road. How many of you can obey that command? Peter says, hey, you know what? Walk down central. Walking in obedience. And if you are walking in obedience, you should be proud. God told me to walk down central. And that's all there is. You may be doing more for God in that moment than somebody that you idolize who's building their own kingdom to try to earn something from God. You just walk down the road he tells you to walk. And while he's walking, 
Just so happens, there's a chariot coming by, right? There's a man from Ethiopia. How did that happen? It's almost like God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> Philip's walking down the road. Now, Philip has walked with Jesus. He has dedicated himself to Scripture because he was chosen to distribute food to orphans and widows, not because of how powerful of a speaker he was, but he, because he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, full of knowledge and full of power. Right? Well, so this Philip is walking down the street. Here comes a chariot, Ethiopians inside of it, reading the book of Isaiah. But he's not allowed to be in the temple because, for one, he's not an Israelite and because he's a eunuch. So he's not allowed to receive teaching in the temple because that curtain has not been split. The door has not been opened. He's reading Isaiah about this servant who comes, who's pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, like a lamb was led to the slaughter, but before the slaughterer was silent, all this stuff. And Philip's like, hey, you understand what you're talking about, what you're reading there? He's like, no, I don't have anybody to explain it to me. Philip just hops in the cart, starts talking to him about Jesus. The man gets saved, hops out, gets baptized in a puddle, goes to Ethiopia, and to this day, the nation of Ethiopia traces back their Christian heritage to that man. And all he did was walk down the road the Holy Spirit told him to walk down. So look, to live in the fullness of what God has for you does not require great talent. It does not require great ability. It does not require, require great pedigree. It does not require a great story or background. It requires obedience. And if you're free from all the weight of all that other stuff, you know you're already free from bondage. You know you're already cleansed. You know you're already a child, a son, and daughter of God. Then it's a lot more liberating to just walk, walk in the Spirit. And look at what God can do. Look at what God can do. Totally committed to doing good deeds. I'm going to try to wrap up here in just a sec. Ephesians chapter 2.10, he says this, For we are God's masterpiece. This is in the New Living Translation. I love the way he words this and captures the thought. We are God's masterpiece. And that term is used for poetry. We are his masterpiece. His magnum opus, right? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Catch the timeline there. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So what came first, us or the plan? He created a plan for us before he ever even created us. And this is what's liberating in that. Sometimes we have God say, I want you to do this. And we go, oh God, I could never. And he's like, no, I custom made you to do exactly what I'm asking you to do right now. So all of this insecurity and all this uncertainty and all this stuff are things that you've learned. Let me watch that. You know what? Let's go back to the beginning. Let me relieve that bondage off of you. You were created custom for the works I'm asking you to do. And you know what? I've cleansed you so that you would be purified and ready for my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. For now, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right? Not only that, I call you my son and my daughter, a kingdom of priests. So now, just walk. Walk the path I lead for you. I designed it before I ever created you. Walk in destiny. Walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The gifts that God has given you is for the investing in the kingdom that he created you to invest in. So invest in the lives of others. Walk with a purpose. And know that there's a meaning to why you're here. He didn't just save your soul so that you can sort of fight through this life long enough to die and go to heaven. That is not what Jesus died for. 
I love old hymns, but some of them we can get twisted. Just a little while to linger. Just a little while to wait. I don't want to linger anywhere. We're not lingering here. And I'm not saying that's the heart of the hymn writer. I'm just saying God is designed for us to live in the freedom and the fullness of his presence right now. And you know what? One day we're going to be living in the fullness of his presence and we're going to breathe our last and we'll be in his presence. How awesome is that going to be? But he died for more than for us to just buy time until we die. He died for us so that we can live. To give us life to the fullest. Life with meaning and purpose. Life by design. So let's walk in that. Let's live in that and let the Holy Spirit guide us. So Lord Jesus, right now in this moment, I don't know which point has touched which heart. Because God, that's not my job. Lord, you've called me to come here today to share this message. And I either believe that you said that because you have a plan or I don't. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that this message was given because you want to speak to hearts and lives inside of this room. There may be people watching online right now that you're wanting to speak to. You're not limited by time and space. Lord, I pray right now that wherever our hearts are, that we will hear clearly what it is you're saying to us. So right now, God, we open our hearts and our spirits. Speak to us, Lord. Each soul in this place, you have a word for them, Lord. If you guys will stand, just because I want to give opportunity for people to, to come to the altar to make a move. But this morning, I fully believe there are men or women or children in this room that feel hopelessly bound. Hopelessly bound. Either to the sins of their past or bound to the things that have been done to them in their past. They feel tied up, chained down, and unable to be free to live the life God has created for them to live in. And that is not what Jesus died for. He died that you can live in freedom, complete freedom. Yes, it's a process, but the work has already been done. The process is us realizing more fully what it is that God has done. This morning, if you're in this place and you say, I need for God to help me to let go of the things that I'm holding on to that are keeping me bound. If you're here this morning, you say, I've got to let go of the things that have me bound. Will you come find a place right now? Find a place in the altar. If you're uncomfortable coming to an altar, find a place at your seat. Kneel down. Make a physical movement and ask Jesus to meet you there. Ask the Holy Spirit to meet you there. To release the things that have you bound. This isn't a moment of shame. This is a moment of freedom and liberation and joy. God wants to loose people from things that have had them tied up for a long time. Desire for control. Desire for value. Desire for credibility. Desire for admiration. All those things that can keep us bound. He wants us to live in freedom. To truly trust him with every step and with every outcome in our life. The liberation that can come in that. Lord Jesus, bring liberty and freedom. There may be other people in this place this morning that they're willing to be a humble servant of God, but they almost feel like a whipping boy. They'll never really deserve anything from God. And in this false humility of just groveling at his feet, 
And Jesus is wanting to lift your head this morning and say, you are my son and my daughter. Weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All right, you've repented. You've asked for forgiveness. You've been given new life and new hope. Now get up. Get up and be a son and daughter of God. Walk in the identity that he created for you. Walk in what he created you to be. And if this morning you say, you know what, I need Jesus to remind me, or maybe for the very first time, accept that I am a son, I am a daughter of God, and I'm going to walk in the love and the fullness of that relationship. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to find a place. Dedicate yourself to the Lord in this moment and allow him to pour his love into your life in this moment. I am a son. I am a daughter. And some of you just need to walk in the freedom of life by the Spirit. You need to let go of creating your own plans and live fully committed to doing the deeds of your Father, walking in relationship with Him. Lord Jesus, depending on who, whoever needs to hear that this morning, do the work, Holy Spirit. Do the work, Holy Spirit. We commit ourselves to you, O oh God. Commit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus.